Welcome to the Frank Reactions podcast, where we help you profit from the digital era through better customer experiences online and off. My name is Tema Frank. Today, it is my honor to present world-renowned customer service expert and author of eight best-selling books and top three global guru in customer experience, Chip Bell. His newest book is called Kaleidoscope, Delivering Innovative Service That Sparkles. Great name. Before we get there, though, I wanted to wish you all a happy International Women's Day. I actually just gave a talk this morning for Deloitte about women in the workplace. And uh, for those of you who are interested, I'm actually working on an update of my 1994 book, Canada's Best Employers for Women. And this time we're going right for the jugular. We're looking at the stats. Where are women in these organizations? Then we'll look at what policies and practices got them there, instead of just focusing on the policies and hoping the numbers will follow. The great news is the best for women are definitely great for men too, because they totally get the people factor. They treat all their employees well, which brings out the best in them and thus lets them serve their customers really well. If you're interested in learning more about the Best for Women project and related research on women in the workplace, I'd encourage you to go to bestforwomen.ca, which is still in its pretty early stages, or to visit the Best Employers for Women Facebook page, or go straight to bit.ly bit.ly forward slash BFW news, as in Best for Women news, to get on the news and updates list. Also, before we get into today's interview, I just wanted to put in a little plug for a few upcoming customer experience related conferences that you might be interested in. In particular, the Customer Experience Professionals Association's Insight Exchange is taking place in Phoenix on May 16th and 17th. And do let me know if you're coming to that. I'll be there and I would absolutely love to link up with you. Also, the B2B Online Conference will be taking place in Chicago, May 8th to 10th. I won't be able to be at that one this year, but it promises to be a really great conference if you are in the B2B world. And third, although I don't think I have a lot of listeners in Africa yet, I will be speaking at the Seamless Africa Conference on e-commerce and payments in Cape Town, South Africa next week. If you're listening to this, I'd love to meet you there. I am totally psyched about that trip, even though it's going to be long and grueling from here in Western Canada. It's basically pretty much the other side of the world, but I am really looking forward to it. Now to today's interview. In the interview, we talk about things like the challenge of the time it takes to do the genuine culture change that's needed to improve customer experience and what Chip calls value unique as opposed to just value added. Chat with you briefly at the end of the episode. I am Chip Bell. And I am what, um, I'm a customer loyalty consultant, writer, and keynote speaker. You've been in this world for quite a long time. When it comes to customer service and customer experience, what sorts of changes have you noticed over the last few years? I think several things. One is, I think the customer today is a lot more demanding, which makes them sometimes aggressive. Um, or assertive in terms of demanding what they want because they can get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they also uh, are much more, their, their expectations are a lot higher mm-hmm. than they have ever been before because they have great experiences they generalize. So 
when I when people think uh, organizations think about who's your competitor, well, that'd be Cir- that'd be Cirque du Soleil and Nordstrom and FedEx and mm-hmm. Disney and fill in the blank when it comes to the experience. And so, though because they have had experiences then in other walks of life and all other areas, they generalize that to everyone. Um, when the FedEx guy walks fast, I assume the postal guy will do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's I think that's another one. But I think the third thing and perhaps most powerful is. Customers are more vocal today than they've ever been because they have a, a way, many times in an anonymous way through social media, um, to influence the marketplace. Um, you know, it's not word of mouth, it's word of mouse, so to speak. And we all know social media has many times the reach that, uh, uh, that word of mouth has. So I think that has empowered the customer in ways that we've not seen before. Yeah, absolutely. So, Chip, one of the things that strikes me is you've been hearing and we've been hearing even CEO level people saying for a few years now, customer experience is really important, blah, blah, blah. And yet customer experience ratings aren't going up. Where do you think the disconnect is? I mean, there's no question customers are more demanding, but I also get the feeling that a lot of organizations, even if they want to improve customer experience, they're not actually doing it. What do you see? Okay, I think that's a great question. I think some of the reason has to do with um, many people who are leaders of organizations um, ruled by arithmetic, um, so to speak, meaning um, show me the proof, show me the bottom line. And, you know, if uh, and they tend to look for cause and effect relationships when they make decisions. If I spend a million dollars on this, will I get my return on my investment? Can you demonstrate? Can you show me proof um, that there is cause and effect? Customer service is not as pure in terms of the, uh, the cause and effect. It's much more of a correlation. Um, we can show lots of examples where customers who've had a great experience um, tend to, those organizations tend to do better. Um, but they all, any person would know there, there are multiple variables that might be skewing that in a particular direction. So I think the absence of quantitative proof, although we're seeing more and more mm-hmm. that are more of that, makes them more skeptical, skeptical. The other side to it is that I think sometimes uh, the hardest part to sell is the difference between okay service and extraordinary service. Is there is there a return? Many, many, all senior leaders know they're not supposed to deliver bad service. That'll put you out of business. Yeah. Um, but is there a return for elevating my service from okay, average, um, to great? Show me, show me that relationship. So, uh, and that, that is a harder proof statement um, to make. Um, so I think that, I think that's part of it, although that's changing. I, I find more and more in the organizations I work with, most of them have figured out, um, you know, the product or solution that you provide might bring the customer in, but it's going to be the experience you create that's going to bring them back. Absolutely. And we all know acquisition costs uh, are, you know, a fraction, uh, retention cost or a fraction of what acquisition cost is. So smart money is on keep the ones you've got. Um, and that comes back to great experiences. So I think one of the other things that struck me when I was writing my book, People Shock, is that it's very difficult to find stories of organizations that weren't already customer experience focused 
that then manage a real turnaround. That is true. Have you seen any where that's actually worked? Oh, yeah. There are are lots of examples, but I, I, I agree with you. It's a harder sell because... To go from okay to great to, uh, is it requires for most who weren't already there uh, requires a significant culture change, and we all know culture change require time. Yeah. Um, and if I've got a board of directors or stakeholders who are interested in quarter to quarter returns, mm-hmm. um, to say we're not going to see an increase in return, but uh, for three years, but trust me, trust me, <laughs> in three years you're going to see a great return on our investment. Most Investors aren't patient to wait that, uh, wait for what it takes. So the degree to which I want to show me quickly yeah. uh, a return, I can't wait for culture change. Or, or you can do culture change, change as long as it's drive-by. Can we do it in two weeks? <laughs> yeah. And so obviously changing the habits and norms and beliefs and values of people takes a long time. And they've invested a lot of years in being the way they are. Uh, and where I see it most frequently is less about companies that are in the service business going from good to great and more companies that are in the product world who got, who have a great reputation for the products, but are rec- but recognize I've got to be great at service as well. Mm-hmm. That's where I see the transformation most frequently. So what have you found to be the most effective thing at persuading senior leaders that they really do need to change. Can I tell you a story? Absolutely. I love stories. Okay, good. I was working with um, a company that's been very successful, McDonald's. Mm -hmm. McDonald's is probably the best hamburger factory on the planet. (laughs) Yeah. And their whole culture and their creation from Ray Kroc was all about the production of a hamburger, et cetera, the, the, the efficiency. And obviously that is real, really, really important uh, it, when you are a fast food, quick food service. You've got to have it fast, and that takes efficiency. But their service was not something people raved about. Mm-hmm. So um, when I was working with them, they were hearing about this little upstart company in Georgia called Chick-fil-A. Uh-huh. And they were seeing the numbers that showed Chick-fil-A in six days could outdo them store to store. They could do better in six days than McDonald's could do in seven. So they were intrigued by this company, interested in this company, but they tended to believe it's because they hire better people. Huh. And I said, well, that, let's, take, let's test that. I said, why don't you pick out a small town? Somewhere where they have a Chick-fil-A and nearby there is a McDonald's. They chose a, a, a Thomasville, Georgia, and there was a Chick-fil-A near a McDonald's. And I said, why don't you go visit the Chick-fil-A, visit the McDonald's. Now, obviously, people won't recognize you. They won't know you're from corporate. Yeah. And then go down the street and visit Chick-fil-A and, you, and then come back and tell me what you learned. <laughs> and you already know they're, they're hiring from the same labor pool. Yep. And we all know, because we can know the statistics, the person who's flipping hamburgers and cooking, fry, cooking fries between the two are, not, are, are paid the same. Mm-hmm. They did. They went down and visited, and they came back and said, we've got a problem. <laughs> you know, it's amazing that senior leaders need people like us to tell them to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And, that, and I, I, fortunately, I guess they do, but uh, <laughs> yeah. for, for us. 
But uh, I, I think part part of it is, you know, we all have a tendency in our own to think we're the coolest thing in our own house. Yeah. And so, therefore, getting and obviously getting input feedback from their employees may not be as raw, candid uh, as it might be from an outsider. And I think second is, I think it was Einstein said, you can't change the paradigm from within the paradigm. And so I think sometimes the employees of an organization who might be candid with their senior leaders are sometimes uh, limited by the fact that they're part of the same culture and therefore can't see what an outsider might be able to see. That's true for all of us. And so I think when we come along, not only are we paid to be direct and candid and honest, um, but we also bring with us, if we're good, a perspective that they're not apt to get from the inside. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's move into your new book, Kaleidoscope, Delivering Innovative Service That Sparkles, which is a lovely sparkly name for a book. (laughs) Tell me about what's new in that book what are what are some of the things that perhaps stand out and make it different from other books i'm on back i'm on back come back in from the back door now sure there is a great book called the um about effortless service that was a bestseller matt dixon wrote yeah he said that delivering value-added service that don't put your energy there Put your energy on eliminating effort on the part of the customer. Mm-hmm. That always intrigued me because telling employees, you know, we don't need to delight our customers. Just give them a, a um, because we can't show a return on just delight. Value added service. Mm-hmm. And I got to thinking, um, and oftentimes the value added is sometimes heroics. You know, we Nordstrom employees leaps a building with a single bound. <laughs> um, and so I got to thinking about that and I wondered. If there was a way that the service experience could move the needle. Mm-hmm. And um, so my label for that is um, if you measured loyalty, not by retention, not by deepening the relationship, not by uh, whether I identified more the Harley jacket, not by those words, but if I measured it only by advocacy, meaning what is it the kind of service that is so profound that you have to remark about it? you got to tell a story. I can't wait to share that with others. And what would be the what would that create? What would cause you to tell the story? Not just come back, but tell the story. And what I found was it was oftentimes when people delivered not just value added, but value unique. It was something unexpected about it. Yes. And so the book Kaleidoscope is all about value unique. Um, value added, you know, is a problem because every time you add value, you raise the customer's expectations and you keep doing that, you run out of room and go bankrupt. Yes. But value unique, providing a sort of ingenious, creative, innovative experience, there's no limit to ingenuity. Yeah. And so... But when I added the question, the thing, what is an experience that you will remember forever, not till the end of the week? Yeah. Now you're talking about a profound impact. What do those stories have in common? And what they had in common was they sh- they reflected a deep sense of character. Hmm. Um, it wasn't just a whimsical kind of funny thing. It had a soul to it. I began to say, if if I were to pursue looking and examining and understanding the soul of service, when service has a, a clear and present 
character to it, what would that look like? And so that brings me to Kaleidoscope, because Kaleidoscope is a cool thing that we grew up with as a toy that has pretty pictures. But the stones never change. You don't open up a kaleidoscope and replace the the jewels inside. My granddaughters call them jewels. Yes. They, they are always there. They're mirrored, which creates the image. They're reflected. Um, but they never change. And so what is the sort of character or core of service that regardless, if your goal is to create a profoundly remarkable experience, one, customers are so impacted by that they can't wait to tell about it. Mm-hmm. Then what is what are, what are those jewels, the core elements, and that's what the book is about. I chose nine core jewels, if you will, that should be ever present if your goal is to create the kind of experience that people can't wait to tell somebody about and likely will remember forever. So, if you're suggesting then, though, that a key element is that what they offer is something distinctive, something unique, something memorable. Yeah. How realistic is it for a company to be able to deliver that and still be unique over thousands or tens of thousands of transactions? Uh, that's a great point. So that brings us to uh, what is then asked of the frontline employee? Okay. Because um, if I am asked to be like McDonald's, to produce the exact same Big Mac every time, mm-hmm. um, then I don't want any. I don't want any unique Big Macs coming out. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, they need to be up to specs, and they and that's what we count on. We depend on the consistency of a brand's um, products. Mm-hmm. But the experience is something they, particularly on the front line, do have control over. That um, may add a moment. But it, it requires employees being having being trusted yeah. and given the authority to be able to go outside the box and to think differently. How about this time I do it like this in terms of the experience, not the product, but the experience. And so that means leaders who are willing to trust their employees to do that. And therefore, that if they're going to trust them, that means they need to have them resourced with the authority, the training, the expertise, whatever, sourced in a way that I can effectively deliver that unique experience. Well, that's the irony, too, is when companies go out of their way to hire people who are creative and innovative, but I I interviewed a fellow named Ray Adia, uh, who wrote The Fearless Frontline, and, Mm -hmm. you know, he said when he gives talks, he always asks, how many of you want your employees to think outside the box? And, you know, most hands go up. And then he says, how many of you want them to act outside the box? And the hands all go down. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I don't, we didn't want to go that far. So you're right. I mean, it's, it, is, it does take a different culture, a different kind of orientation. Yeah. You know, Rich Carlton tells their housekeepers, you can spend two grand to make sure a customer leaves happy. Yeah. You know, well, they didn't send out an email saying they saying that. They provided them the training and and the problem solving skills to be able to do that. So um, they do it in a responsible way. We don't want foolhardy kind of behavior. We won't we won't, we won't risk taking, but you know, we want people to be responsible and, and act with some sense of stewardship to the company. Right. And so he- helping uh, leaders lead in a way that helps them find that balance. And that helps their employees think like owners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, if they're 
if their goal is to do more and more and more, they're going to go, I'm doing all I can. But if you say, why don't you surprise customers more, all of a sudden now, I could get excited about that if I'm a frontline employee. So can you give me a couple of examples of surprising things that frontline employees came up with that you discovered in your work? My wife has a new car. Mm-hmm. Um, she um, loves this new car, tried, tried in her old car and got a new car. Mm-hmm. And a week after she had her car, she turned on the radio for the first time and discovered they had programmed in her radio stations from her trade-in and just let her discover. Hmm. Nice. Now, she doesn't talk about the car. She talks about the radio. Yeah. Did that cost a lot? No. no. Did that take um, any special? No. I'll give you a quick another one. I was uh, doing a keynote in, um, in Mechanicsville, Pennsylvania, and I stayed at a park inn and and the, um, uh, I had breakfast that morning in the restaurant, and the, and, uh, the woman who was great, Sandy, was real upbeat and happy and, you know, very quick to get my, and, and uh, very quick to, um, serve me. Um, and she didn't bother me because she could see I was re- eating breakfast, great breakfast, and reading my morning Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. And so when I got ready to leave, she brought me a go cup, uh, with coffee fix just the way I like it. Now, that's value added. We've all had that. Mm-hmm. And, but when I said to her, Sandy, this is wonderful. You have no idea how much I really need this go cup of coffee today. She said, now here's the value unique. It is our gift to you. Hmm. All of a sudden, it changed the frame from a nice gesture to our gift to you. And so, hmm. and then, so I, I was in a diner in New York and with a business partner of mine, and we were the only ones in the thing, and the, and the woman who weighed on us brought us a bouquet of flowers and set them on our table and said, my husband uh, sent me these yesterday for our anniversary, and I thought you might enjoy them while you age. It's those little tiny, I mean, I can keep going for hours on these. Yeah. To me, it's finding those little kind of special things that create a swoon, not just a smile. Um, from the customer. And I think part of it is encouraging people to deliver the very best they have to offer to their customer. What if you, the level, the service you're about to deliver was going to be the last service you were going to deliver to anyone and it was going to define who you were and define the reason for being here. What would it be like? Well, obviously we'd, we'd deliver the very best of what we could be. Yes. Obviously, you you want your employees to feel that. And as we've already talked about, there's a huge element of cultural change. There's also an element of freeing your front lines to have a little bit of flexibility. But what have you seen in your practice to be some of the most effective ways to actually inspire frontline staff to do that, to care, to make a difference? I think it starts with the leader's experience and modeling calls okay. um, and, and purpose. I, I'll give you a quick story. I had a, um, a friend of mine who's the CEO of a company, and he realized that they needed to get more involved in community affairs, community activities, get employees involved in doing community stuff. So they did Habitat for Humanity to build a house. And so he's out there with them, uh, some of his employees, and they're building a house. And he noticed this young man who was relatively new to the company, and he's just into what he's doing. He's really working hard, and the sweat's coming down, and he's, he can't wait to get another board and slide it up there. And he stopped the kid and said, uh, why don't you work like this at work? <laughs> and the kid said, because this is important. Mm. And all of a sudden it hit him. What can I do, he said, as a leader? 
to bring the sense of purpose that people feel um, like this individual felt about Habitat for Humanity and he was given it all he had. Yeah. And so I think leaders who have the, the ability to communicate a sense of purpose, vision, and, and make, it, make it come alive and make it real for employees. And so they find their own work in that sense of purpose. What do you call it? Vision of purpose, but it's something that's lived every day and never taken for granted. It's like Ritz Carlton's lineup, you know, every day at every shift change to talk about what does it mean to be ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. I think that's as hokey as it may be. I think that's the kind of thing that keeps it, it that signals this is important. Yes. And, you know, we all get more enthused about something that we believe deeply in. Yep. You know, we're not just laying bricks, we're building a cathedral. And it's helping people link with that cathedral building orientation that what is what I think leaders' first job is. I find people will often say, oh, you know, our business isn't inspiring. And I love to give the example of Mary Miller's uh, Dream Manager program at Jancoa Janitorial Services, where right. here they took something that's instinctively not an inspiring kind of work, but because they turned the company around to focus on helping their employees achieve their dreams, exactly. it imbued the whole thing with a mission, with a purpose, or what right. I call the promise. Right, right. And then finding its way into every facet of the culture. And so I, I was, I was, when I was working with the Ritz Carlton in Naples, Florida, and I asked the, uh, the woman who waited on me for breakfast and I said, um, what do you like working about the, like working most about working with the Ritz Carlton? And she said, it's made me a better mother and a better spouse. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, the kind of things that we talk about here every day, I took those same things home and I practiced them on my family and it's made my home life much better. Nice. Well, to me, if you can help people link their whole life into the work they do, then it, it not only is enriching uh, that person, but they, by definition, will mirror that same commitment to their customers. That's wonderful. Is there anything, Chip, that you wish I'd asked you and I haven't? No, this has been great. I love talking about this stuff. It's great. You do, you do a very good job, a very good interview. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. A couple of things struck me about that episode. In particular, the importance of repeating your organization's purpose or promise. He gave the example of the classic Ritz Carlton line, what does it mean to be ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen? I think it's very easy to put a push on your organization's promise and values right at the beginning when you develop them, and then just kind of let them slip into the sidelines. And if you don't keep reinforcing them, it won't stick. So that is a really great idea, whether it's a weekly meeting where you talk about them or daily or whatever, but make it something regular. Also, I would suggest that you sit down with your team and think about what is a value unique that you could offer to your next customer. I would suggest you take some time and brainstorm a whole bunch of simple things, not too expensive things that you could do that would startle and impress your customers and make them want to talk about you. There were a couple of references in this episode to other interviews that I've done that I will link to. One is with Jan Koa, CEO Mary Miller, who implemented the Dream Manager program at her janitorial services company, which you can find at frankreactions.com forward slash one, the digit one, not the word. 
and to the interview with Ray Atia, the author of The Fearless Front Line, which was our second episode, so frankreactions.com forward slash two. To be honest, they were actually both episodes as part of the Frank Online Marketing Series, which was the podcast that I ran before Frank Reactions, but they related so directly to what we talk about here on Frank Reactions that I figured uh, I would move them over and replay them for this group. Thanks again for listening. I would love to hear your feedback as always. My email is tema, T-E-M as in marketing, A, at frankreactions.com. You can tweet me simply at Tema Frank. You can find me on LinkedIn. And there is a Frank Reactions Facebook page as well. I would love to hear from you. Have a wonderful couple of weeks. And the next one, if all goes smoothly, will come out while I'm in South Africa. And I hope to bring you some interesting interviews after that trip from people that I meet during the trip, because it'll be very interesting to see how perceptions of customer experience differ in a very different part of the world. Have a great couple of weeks. Bye.